to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics by examining the Word of God and especially the book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. The Porch Online Bible Study takes a deeper look at how the early church served the Lord, and our desire is to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and the world-shaking influence the early church had. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church Lord intended, not the one man created. The church age is not over, and what took place in the upper room is as much for now as it was on the day of Pentecost. If you know that there's more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua, with Jesus, and you want more, then you're welcome to join us on this journey as we get back to basics. If you have any questions, please visit firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button or write us directly at the porch, lowercase one word, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, go to firefalltalkradio.com for ways to do so. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Remember, if you need prayer or you want to pray for others in the porch community, just contact us, and we will include you in, send you things, let you know what's going on. Remember that we care about you. Make sure to subscribe. So, yeah, make sure to do that, but also make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen, as well as on social media, and send us an email. Let us know where you're listening to us from. A new testimony was recorded this week for Porchlight. It'll be up Sunday night. Make sure you are subscribed to the Firefall Network on YouTube for video. The audio will be posted as well. So starting out with praise reports and prayer requests, well, I always praise the Lord for my salvation. I praise Him for how much He loves us. I praise Him for salvation, uh, deliverance. I praise Him for blessings. I praise Him for being who He is. He is our Abba Father. He is our Papa. And I thank him for allowing me and you and all of us to boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, crying out, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. I thank him for Yeshua. Thank you, Father. Thank you for sending your only begotten Son. He shed his blood. He did everything that we could never do so that we can be reconciled to you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving me back my family, the one I discarded, the one I don't deserve now, but you seem to think I do. Thank you for their love. Thank you for their presence in my life. Thank you for their the legacy that we have in our grandchildren. And we thank you just for everything, the roof over our head, the furry kids in our life, all the things that you have blessed us with so that we can do what you've called us to do, all this technology that I'm surrounded by so that I can speak to my brothers and sisters. Thank you for healing. Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching us and walking with us and changing us and teaching us the Word. Thank you for being inside of us, the same Spirit and power that raised Yeshua from the dead. Right now, I pray that my brothers and sisters not only would have that, but would manifest you from the inside out, that they would be healed, they would be delivered, they would be empowered to do everything that you've called them to do in this time. We pray over the technology. We pray against the prince of the power of the air and all that would interfere with your word. We want to receive what you have for us tonight, Lord. We want to be able to go and do everything that you need from us. So, Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want. Open hearts, open eyes, open ears. Let the signs of the Messiah happen even as people are listening. And let's go forth in Yeshua's name to do what he's called us to do. Bless this word in Yeshua's name. Amen.
These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. It's funny, I'm sitting here thinking, is it okay that I'm getting excited about my own Bible study or his Bible study, hearing the Word? I've been excited all day. So open your Bibles. We're going to follow up on last week's Lawless Abounds. If you haven't listened to it, please do, because they tie together. The response to end times lawlessness, the things we see every day, is the church, us, answering his call to serve him and further the kingdom of God. So let's pick up where we left off with Romans 13, starting with verse 11. Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is. How it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep, rouse to reality. For salvation, final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed, adhered to, trusted in, and relied on the Messiah. The night is far gone, and the day, the day of the Lord is almost here. Let us then drop, fling away the works and deeds of darkness, and put on the full armor of light. Let us live and conduct ourselves honorably and becomingly as in the open light of day, not in revelry and carousing and drunkenness, not in immorality and debauchery, sensuality, licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. But clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, and make no provision for indulging the flesh. Put a stop to thinking about the evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its desires it's lust. This was written in the winter of 56 to 57 AD. And Paul was picturing believers even then as being asleep and inactive. I wonder, wonder how he would feel about the church today. The salvation he's referring to is the future when believers, us, will be saved from this fallen world in the presence of sin. Salvation is the imminent return of Messiah. The night is the present age in which we live in Satan's domain. He's the God of this world, and the kingdom of darkness rules. But we, we are the light of the world with the salt of the earth, and we are the power of the living God through his son Yeshua to do a job that must be done because the day, the beginning of a new life for this entire planet with Messiah, will begin his glorious messianic reign. So the word, the phrase at hand, it's imminent. The Lord could return at any moment. Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. You see, even then, and I know it's difficult for us to believe, they were looking, they were waiting, they were believing that he could come at any moment. And the church has lost that. Not us. I believe those of us on the porch community, we've got it. But the church at large, they've lost it. I've had some people even tell me, there is no rapture. He'll come and judge the living and the dead, but none of those other things are going to happen. In fact, they already happened in in 70 AD when the the, the temple was burned and fell and Jerusalem fell. No, folks, it hasn't happened yet. The Lord is at hand. We see it. The signs of the times are blaring. If you've ever been in Times Square and seen those fluorescent now LED billboards, they're blaring. They're telling us, get ready. James 5, 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 1 Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. 
you know, if you go back to Romans 13, 11 through 14, Paul puts envy, strife and envy on the same level as drunkenness, revelry, lust. You know why? Because they corrupt and rot the soul of the believer. So you know, you and I know what a critical hour this is, how it is high time now for us to wake up out of our sleep, to be roused to reality, because final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed, when we first made him Messiah of our life. See, I've been moved by the Lord to take the teachings for 2023 in the direction of preparation. Now, what are we preparing for? Well, it would be nice if it was for his arrival. We should consider that. But there's a storm coming. If you listen to my word for 2023, which is on YouTube in uh, video form and on thebeaconsclare.com in the blog form, we're headed into a storm. There are storm warnings. Things are going to get worse before they get better. But we are going to shine. It's going to get really dark, but we're going to be the beacons that are going to help people find their way out of the darkness into safety. But we must know and understand and prepare for what's coming. Well, the Lord was our example for knowing the times and what to do. And and he showed me something today I had not seen before. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 41. Now his parents, being Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he, Yeshua, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Yeshua lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. They believed that he was among the relatives and the acquaintances that had gone with them. But when they went to look for him, they couldn't find him. So they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. There's that three days thing. Sitting in the midst of the teachers. He was among the rabbis both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And, and his mother said to him, Son, why have, you, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Twelve-year-old Yeshua is engaged in theological discussion with the rabbis, something he would do two decades later, maybe even some of those same rabbis. He said, I must be about my father's business. Literally, that means the things of my father. That hit me today. I must be about my father's business. I must be about the things of my father. So it's time to wake up and be like the Lord. Get serious about the things of the father. The things in this world are not that important. Yes, you pay your bills with them. Yes, you take care of your family with them. But the most important thing is him, is your soul, is their soul. It's the souls of others. Let's wake up. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 3. It always happens just about this time after speaking the word and, and the spirit moving, I can almost not speak. Right about now, if we were in a building together, I turn on some music or look at whoever's there and say, let's just praise the Lord. First Peter 1, starting verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua. Jesus the Messiah, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's good stuff. Our salvation is grounded in the Father's mercy his act of compassion towards us despite our sinfulness, the iniquity that was born in us. He had compassion towards us and saved us. That becomes our testimony. That's what people need to know. We've been begotten again. We've been made believers in a new spiritual life that enables us to live in an entirely different dimension than the one our physical birth allowed. If you are walking in the Spirit, as Paul said, you're walking in two worlds at the same time. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. And I think most of the challenges to us as believers is when we're too much in this world and not enough in his. And that living hope is the hope. It, it does not imply wishfulness because it's a, a dynamic confidence that doesn't end with this life but continues throughout eternity. It is a perpetual hope. 1 Peter 1.5, we who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Will you? Will you reveal it? Will you show it? Will you share it? See, our Abba Father keeps his people, keeps his children safe from attack and safe within the protective boundaries of his kingdom. There's a scripture, I don't, I don't have it, it's, it's out of um, Proverbs or Psalms and about putting your hand outside the hedge. Well, you know what? I'm attached to the internet, so I'm just going to look it up. Hold on. And I will tell you what it is. It's in, I think it's Job. Hold on, I'm getting it. Yes, this is where Satan wants to attack attack uh, Job. And he says in First Job, verse 10, Have you not placed a hedge on every side around him and his household and all that he owns? We stay within the hedge. We are protected, but if we stick our hand outside the hedge, that's when trouble happens. He keeps us safe when we are walking where we should be walking. Years ago, he showed me the kingdom of God as a walled-in kingdom. And when you are within the kingdom, you have diplomatic immunity, but the, the enemy goads you into coming outside the walls, into walking outside of that hedge, outside of that immunity. And that's where he attacks us. 
He does it through sin. He does it, does it through relationships. He does it in so many different ways, and he's very good at it. Years ago, I shared a book. I mentioned it in the Supernatural Battle called The Way of the Christian Samurai, Reflections for a Servant Warrior of Christ by Paul Nowak. And he, and he points this out, and I, I saved it. Let us also not forget that Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 6, that we should greatly rejoice for the little while we must suffer. However, such joyful and praise-filled acceptance of suffering and hardship comes from a secure foundation of faith in God and a resolution to accept and live out his will. This is not easy when things start to happen, when the persecution happens, when the the attacks happen. You begin to question, God, haven't I suffered enough? Hasn't hasn't enough happened to me in this life? Instead, we should be joyful. We should be accepting it as part of the walk, part of living out his will, the calling on our life. I don't know it's coming. Well, I sort of do. He's shown me in dreams and visions. I'm just going to tell you it's not going to be fun. All the ear ticklers who, by the way, are all of a sudden changing their tone. We're going to live in the power. We're going to live in the, in the grace. We're going to live in the glory. As the darkness envelops this earth, the deep darkness I've talked about. Ephesians 4, starting verse 1, I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, Paul says, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And I always want to say y'all, but I don't think Paul was from the south unless it was south Jerusalem. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure, measure of Messiah's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. The Nelson Study Bible says, Note that the Christian life is not compared to running or standing still, but to a walk, a walk worthy. That a believer's life should match the excellency of Messiah's calling. And Paul quotes in uh, verse 8, Psalm 68, 18, you have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive, you have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Taking captivity captive, the conquering general would drag the generals and the leaders that survived the battle and the other soldiers through the streets. He would parade them in front of the people as defeated. Well, Paul is showing a picture of the ascended Messiah, our Lord, Yeshua, triumphant over Hasatan and his host, distributing spiritual gifts to his people. And that faithful stewardship of those gifts on earth can and will determine our position of service in the Lord's messianic reign. You and I are going to rule and reign with him. We're not going to spend all our time in in heaven playing harps and dancing on clouds, which really doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. No, we're going to rule and reign with him from the four-square city in Jerusalem. We're going to rule over the earth. Who knows the universe? You'll be able to travel. The Lord's going to look at you and say, hey, do me a favor. Go check out Saturn. Why? Well, I think it'd be really fun and exciting for you to go and check out Saturn. Boom, you're there. I don't know. It, it, it could be. Remember, we're in spiritual bodies. We're going to be able to do what the angels do. We're going to be above the angels. 
So Paul is saying here that all believers have a spiritual gift or gifts that are given sovereignly from the king himself to build up his church. See, we're talking about the calling. We're talking about answering the call. That's what we're talking about, in case you didn't notice. 1 Corinthians 12, starting verse 4. I feel like one of the pointer sisters. I'm so excited. My feet are dancing under the desk here. Now, there are distinctive varieties and distributions of endowments, gifts, extraordinary powers, distinguishing certain believers. Due to the power of divine grace operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit, and they vary, but the Holy Spirit remains the same. And there are distinctive varieties of service and ministration, but it is the same Lord who is served. And there are distinctive varieties of operation, of working to accomplish things, but it is the same God who inspires and energizes them all, in all. But to each one, each one of you, to each one is given the manifestation of of the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, the evidence, the spiritual illumination of the Spirit for good and profit. To one is given in and through the Holy Spirit the power to speak a message of wisdom. To another the power to express a word of knowledge and understanding according to the same Holy Spirit. To another wonder-working faith by the same Holy Spirit. To another the extraordinary powers of healing by one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophetic insight, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose. To another, the ability to discern and distinguish between the utterances of true spirits and false ones. And boy, does the church need that right now. To another, various kinds of unknown tongues. To another, the ability to interpret such tongues. All these gifts, achievements, abilities are inspired and brought to pass by one and the same Holy Spirit who apportions to each person individually exactly as he chooses. For just as the body is a unity and yet has many parts, and all the parts, though many, form only one body, so it is with the Messiah." The Holy Spirit decides your gifts. I have a sincere problem with ministries and fellowships talking about impartations, talking about giving you a gift, talking about giving you maybe the gift that they have. No, the Holy Spirit determines the gift you have. He determines it, whatever it is, how powerful it is, and the Spirit gives it to you, not a man, not a woman, not somebody up on a stage or behind a pulpit. The Spirit does it as He wills. And we as the body of Messiah are to function like a machine, literally a well-oiled, Holy Spirit-oiled machine in which every part is essential for getting the job done. Every part of that machine must work together to get the job done. But unlike a machine, each member of the body of Messiah should maintain itself and build up every one of its members so that they can do good works. So we work collectively, but we exist at times singularly. We have to keep ourselves functioning. We have to pray. We have to feed our spirit for us to do what we're called to do. Peter thought so as well. 1 Peter 4.10, As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasures of his goodness and the work of faith with power. The work of faith with the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit, which flows to us from him in the throne room. 
See, this is about a calling to do a job, not to build buildings, not to build personal kingdoms, not for self-glory, not for your name up in lights, or for you to be under the lights. It's to build him up. It's a calling for the Father's invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, his Son. Go with me to Luke 14, starting verse 16. The Lord said, Yeshua said in this parable, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all began with one accord to begin. They began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, oh, I, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. So I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported those things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed, the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, but there still is room. And the master said to the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come that my house may be filled. For I say to you, None of those men who were invited shall test, taste my supper. We know that he invited the Jews first, and they made excuses. They didn't want to come. So he invited everybody else. He was found by those who did not seek him. We see it also in Matthew 22, similar parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. And again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and they went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants treated them spitefully and killed them. That's us, by the way. And when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you can find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. He invited them. He summoned them. And that, that phrase in the New Testament principally found in the parables of the great banquet, of the marriage supper. We are his servants it started with the prophets, then it went to the disciples, and now it's all the way down. We're his servants. And we're telling people, hey, get ready. There's, there's a banquet. There's a marriage supper of the Lamb, and there's a seat for you at the table. And just like then, people may laugh at you. They may mock you. But others may feel a quickening and a stirring in their soul. And they say, Really? Yeah, he's got a table setting just for you. But look at me, I'm, I'm poor, I'm homeless. I'm a drug addict. I'm a fornicator, an adulterer, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat. Hey, let's get you cleaned up. Come on, let's go. The Father's waiting for you. That's what he was born for. His calling was in his name. And she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Yeshua. 
or Jesus, which means salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Luke 2, 21, when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Yeshua, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. He is salvation. He is life. When he called his disciples in Matthew and Mark, Luke, and but we'll take the Mark 1, and one day as Yeshua was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Yeshua called out to them and said, Come, follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. Be fishers of men. And they just left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, Yeshua saw Zebedee's sons, James and John. Sorry, I was just visualizing them just going, I'm out of here. In a boat, repairing their nets. And he called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. I don't know if you have felt this call to just walk away from everything to follow him, to serve him. It grips you. You can't get away from it. Messiah's people are those whom he has called and are rightly called by his name. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose for you? What have you been called to do? Only you know that. If you don't know, the Spirit can show you. And some of the things I was taught as a baby Christian were callings were not. They were things that got created when the church became a corporation and needed to run itself as a corporation. Anything we need to know, and we'll talk about them next week or in the Bible. As for callings. But the first call is to share the Lord with people, to get them to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But you are a chosen generation. <laughs> Let's stop for a second. I want you to visualize for yourself that you're at the marriage supper. You're sitting at the table, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. And there are settings all around you for people that you know and love, but they're not there. There's still time. There's still time to get them to the celebration. I pray every day, every day for those that I know and my family and my friends and those that I care about, calling them into the kingdom, calling for them to come to the Lord, calling for the Lord to send somebody, even an angel, in dreams and visions so they can suddenly realize, oh, this is what Richard's been talking about. I, I, I pray for the ability to be highly mobile, to be able to get on a plane or a car, get in a motor motorhome and go. Hey, I'm just going to go and share the gospel with this person. I'm gonna, I'm going to go sharing my testimony over here. I'm, I'm going to go to the hospital and pray for him. Lead him to the Lord. Like I did my cousin Bobby. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I remember what it felt like to come out of darkness into that light. It's like a shepherd calling his sheep home to him. First Thessalonians 2.12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There, there are some 
requirements. First Peter one fifteen, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Set apart. Remember, in the world but not of the world. The ways of the world are not our ways. Taking this all together, we can conclude that according to the New Testament, the life of a believer is itself a calling. So if you don't know what you're called to do yet, well, you're supposed to act like a believer. You're supposed to act like you know Yeshua in everything you do, in every part of your life, business, ministry, social. We are called to do all things as unto the Lord. Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Having your eyes, both natural and spiritual, flooded with light, flooded with his glory, so that you can know and understand the hope to which he, King of kings and Lord of lords, has called you. And how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints, his set-apart ones. You know, he saved us and called us with a holy calling. And not according to our works, not by anything we did, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Messiah Yeshua before time began. 2 Timothy 1.9 Therefore, holy brethren, which is men and women, brothers and sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling, that's us, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Messiah Yeshua, Hebrews 3.1. 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Most people are tripped up by the lies, tripped up by the false teaching, tripped up by all the things around them because they are not, they have not been diligent to know the call and the election on their life. Yes, you're a believer. We can all start there. What are you called to do? What is it he needs you to do? in this machinery called the church, in this army, however you need to see it in your mind. So we, the basic call to Messiah as Lord and Savior, this all believers are called ones. We all have a calling. And they're different. And I think part of the problem comes because everybody thinks, oh, I... I need to do that. I need to be up there preaching. I need to be doing a Bible study online. Or I need to be out with, you know, SRT doing. No, you will know what you're called to do, usually based upon where you've come from. And he will build from that. But it begins in a comprehensive way. That we who know that we are God's children through the Father's love. So the calling to be family is so important. Remember, you don't join the church. You are the church. And by now, if you've been a listener of the porch for all these years, we've been on since March of 2010, you should realize you are the church. Sitting in a building doesn't do anything for you. I came up with the phrase back in the early 90s when I got to Christian Heritage, and it's spread. Other people got it from the Holy Spirit, I guess. Sitting in a pew in a building of called the church doesn't make you a Christian or a believer any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. No, you become a believer. You become his church, his children. 
his calling to you and I makes us his children. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him, 1 John 3, 1. Now, there are specific ministries within the calling. The Holy Spirit in Acts 13, 2 After they had ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Spirit does this for the kingdom. We don't choose it. It chooses us. And this gets back to what I just said. Everybody wants the glamorous jobs. I think the better ministries, the more productive ones, are the ones in the streets the ones in the subways, the ones that you get a little dirty. Second Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, Paul says, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You know, I was talking about people deciding what they wanted to do, and I read this story. There was a elder of a church, and he's talking to a young mechanic who's working on his car. And the mechanic says, I feel that I have had a call to preach. Well, this elder of the church, knowing his deficiencies as a speaker, tried to gently ask, have you noticed whether people seem to have a call to hear you preach? Before you subject others to the sound of your voice, make sure that preaching is something you're called to do. It comes naturally that the call from God to exercise this ability. See, Paul knew he was sent to preach. I did not know that, even though during my deliverance, among the many things that were happening to me was this electricity that was going through my lips, around my mouth, Shelley later explained to me that was the call to preach and teach. Not something I ever thought about doing. What does the Spirit want you to do? Ask Him to show you. Maybe He's been showing you while you've been listening. And again, I'll say, usually it has something to do with where you came from before you were saved where he found you in darkness. Mine grew from there. And like roots on a plant and flowers, it grew and it changed, but it still has its roots in where he found me. That word calling in the Greek, klesis, it's the Origin is always heavenly, that particular word. It's it's an invitation by implication. Starting with man's invitation to accept the benefits of salvation. Romans eleven twenty nine, for the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. He won't break them, he won't retrieve them. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He never withdraws them once they are given. And he does not change his mind about those to whom he's given his grace or to whom he sends his call. Now, you can disqualify yourself. You cannot do it, which I don't know how you could do that because once that fire gets in your bones, you can't run from it. You can try. But he won't take it back. If you've been called to worship, then worship. Listen to me. I get it. You don't want to sit in the four walls of an abomination. I mean, a denomination. Excuse me. Freudian slip. Um, I get it. But until he finds you a place to worship, to fellowship with others, and lead them in worship, sing to him. Start singing. Get ready, because when it pops off and he says, now I need you now, there's going to be no, oh, I'm, 
I got to get my voice ready. I got to get some music to get. Nope, I need you now. That's the one thing I learned from being an actor. You want to be ready. You don't want to suddenly get the job and they say, okay, here you go. Here's your script. Oh, I'm going to need some time. I haven't memorized anything in a while. Up next. Now, he's not going to do that, but you never know. He will skip you over. But let's just eliminate that option. Whatever it is you're called to do, get ready. You're going to preach? Get ready. You're going to teach? Get ready. You're going to evangelize? Get ready. You're going to sing and worship and lead worship? Get ready. Sing to your dog. I don't know. Just sing. I sing. Was that lyric? I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. First Corinthians one twenty six, For you see your calling, brethren, that many wise, not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But those who are called, whether Jew or Gentile, Messiah is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is because... The foolish thing that has its source in God is wiser than men. And the weak thing that springs from God is stronger than men. For simply consider your own calling, brethren, that not many of you were considered to be wise according to human estimates and standards. Not many influential and powerful, and not many of high and noble birth. No, 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 no. For God selected, he deliberately chose what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame, and what the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. And God also selected, deliberately chose what in the world is lowborn, insignificant, and branded, and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, that he might depose and bring to nothing the things that are, so that no mortal man should have the pretense for glorying and boasting in the presence of God. I've seen people, oh, he's he's going to be a preacher. He's going to be a pastor. Well, why is that? Well, have you seen him perform? Have you seen him sing? Yeah, well, I've seen him sing, but I've never seen him preach. And I know enough about him to know that I wouldn't want him to be my pastor. Men make choices that make no sense to me. I've seen enough in religion to sear me for a lifetime about such decisions. First Corinthians 7.20 Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. It's been a difficult one. Bloom where you're planted. Stop looking to go to the, hey, you know, I'd rather do that instead. No, stay where you are. He'll move you when the time comes. See, my hope as I do this, share my soul with you, my spirit with you, of what he shares with me, is truly that your eyes, the eyes of your understanding, would be enlightened, they would be opened, that you would begin to see, and that you would know what is the hope of his calling on your life. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? But most of all, it's his calling on your life. Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the goal for the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yeshua. It's an upward call. It's a high call. It's a heavenly call that he, the Lord, is calling us to achieve and to receive. And this call is fulfilled through the pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So my hope is that you will be diligent to make your call and election sure. And if you do these things, you will never stumble. Well, how does that fit into my life, Richard? That's not what I do. I'm a, I'm a physical trainer. I'm a, a, a mechanic. Hey, everybody you talk to, 
if they see Jesus in you, they see Yeshua in you, if something about the vibration of your voice touches their body, or maybe you just touch them and, and they feel the presence of the Spirit, which I've had happen, because your calling is a heavenly calling, and it will refer back to him. We have a heavenly calling in these times, the times of lawlessness, the times that the enemy is doing what he's doing. The, the enemy's acolytes, his apostles, his ministers of light are spreading their calling. They're spreading their darkness. They're, they're calling your children. They're calling this person in movies and television and media and, and in business. And you go to the store and you can't get away from it. They're preaching. They're fulfilling their vocation. When are we going to fulfill ours? And we'll stop it here. I have so much more. We're going to have a part two next week. But I will end with this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I'll tell you more about next week. He said, when Messiah calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Maybe die physically, because that's what him, the Nazis, killed him. But you die to parts of your life that have nothing to do with the calling, to have nothing to do with what he needs you to do in these times. It's time to answer the call, brothers and sisters. It's time to come out from among them and be separate. It's time to say, you know what? I'm not drinking this polluted water anymore. I'm not drinking from this fountain because there's something wrong with the taste of the water I've been given. Now, I want pure water. I want living water. I want water that comes from above. And I want to come from somebody who's not putting something in the water, but just giving it to me straight from the throne room itself. He's created you for a purpose. Answer the call. Father, I'm praying your spirit begin to move among your children right now. Reminding them of dreams and visions. Reminding them of things that you needed them to do in your kingdom in this time. I'm praying that you are taking away the fear, taking away the doubts, taking away the words that have been placed upon them by others that were not from you. In the name of Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, be set free of any word or promise or prophecy that has bound you into a calling or direction that was not yours. Be free. Shake it off. Begin to fly. Begin to soar. Begin to run. I pray for the areas of your body that need to be healed to do what you're called to do, starting with your heart. Be healed in the name of Yeshua. All the wounds, all the, the things that the enemy has done through a man-made church that has hurt so many, but it was never him that did it. Receive the Holy Spirit if you don't have it and the fullness that you need it for the gifts and the, and the fruit and everything to grow on your tree. Because people are hungry. They're hungry for what he can serve through you. Now, Lord, let your will be done. Let your spirit flow. Let this word fill their heart, their mind, their soul, and their spirit and come to life, come to fruition in Yeshua's name. Amen. That's what the call. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, Adonai, Yeshua HaMashiach, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.